Welcome to the Person and the Power podcast with Pastor Tim Johnson, as he invites us to cultivate a deep and profound relationship with the Holy Spirit of the living and loving God. After 25 years of ministry, Pastor Tim's desire is that all of us would experience both the Spirit's transformational intimacy and the supernatural activity in our daily lives. Now, here's Pastor Tim. I love water baptisms. In 25 years of ministry, I have been blessed to baptize, my goodness, maybe more than a thousand people in rivers, even called Jordan, creeks, like the one I'm sitting next to right now behind Fremers Chapel, ponds, lakes, swimming pools, even oceans. I've baptized folk on different continents. I have been blessed and I love water baptisms. One of my favorite baptism stories, oh, I've got, I've got a blue million of them, but one of my favorites, probably is one of my earliest memories. I'm a pastor, student pastor, at three small country churches in Robertson County, Kentucky. My wife and I have just finished uh, get, answering a call into ministry, selling our home and uh, leaving our jobs, answering God's call to come to Mount Olivet, Kentucky. Now I'm from Kentucky. I didn't even know there's a Mount Olivet in Kentucky. Beautiful people, incredible experience. Three and a half years. I was a student at Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore at the time, an hour and a half away from where we lived. And we had the privilege and the blessing of ministering to these three churches, precious, precious people. Over the first year or so, the churches began to grow. There was some excitement and there was talk that there hadn't been a good old-fashioned baptism service by a river in a long, long time. So we began to pray and plan. And so one Saturday, we, uh, several of us, met at where the Licking River and Johnson Creek meet in Robertson County. We met there, and we found this beautiful spot for baptism. But we had to dig some steps in. There's obviously a little bit of a bank leading down into the river and to the right where that the creek and the river meet. And so we dug some steps and had some fun doing that. It was a hot day. So as you might imagine, we took advantage of the water on that summer day. I believe it was a Saturday, and I believe the next Sunday was the baptisms. We planned those baptisms. So we jumped in, and we swam, and we had some fun. And at some point during our time of relaxing and getting refreshed and getting cooled off, I looked up and some more than just myself saw these two gentlemen, but there were two young men up around the bend of the Licking River. And they were doing something I had never seen before. They were both shirtless. They uh, were de- basically walking alongside the bank of the river. And then you would see them disappear under the water for several seconds, even maybe a minute or more. I mean, it was, a, it was a pretty long period of time holding breath under the water. And then they would come back out. Well, they did this several times up and down the bank of the river. Now, some of you already know what this was. I did, or what this, yeah, what this was. I did not know at the time. I'm a fisherman. I love fishing, grew up fishing as a boy in Kentucky, but I used a cane pole. <laughs> I used a bobber. I finally graduated to a rod and reel and did some bass fishing, but I grew up on the cane pole, right? I'd never heard of noodling. 
I had never heard of this thing called noodling, this crazy idea. I, I, who thought of this? I, <laughs> crazy, right? You decide to walk along the bank of a river. You feel for holes, small caves, openings into the creek bank. You dive under to feel even deeper with eyes closed. You reach your hand <laughs> into the hole where something lives. Now, hopefully, it is a catfish. Hopefully, it is a fish of some kind. But as I learned, once I started talking to these two gentlemen, so I walk, I, at the time, they were getting closer to us, and I finally hollered, hey, guys, what are you all doing? They came over. We started chatting and talking. They swam across the river to us, and we were chatting. Again, folks who had lived in that part of the uh, Kentucky knew what they were doing. I did not, even though I was from Kentucky, just not that part. So they began to explain what noodling was, you know, fishing for fish without bobber, without pole, without bait, except for your fingers, I guess. And they told story after story, guys, of uh, when they would reach their hands into the, the holes of the creek bank and they would pull out, again, hoping, hoping it would be a catfish, hoping it would be a fish of some kind, but story after story where they would reach in and they would pull out, yep, a snapping turtle. You know what snapping turtles are famous for? Snapping. <laughs> like, you're crazy, guys. And they showed a couple of scars. Now, they all had, they both had five fingers on each hand, so, but they had scars where they'd reached in, they've grabbed snakes out, some of them poisonous, right? Cottonmouths and water moccasins. Um, they also had pulled out beaver. One of them pulled out a beaver, they said. <laughs> it's like, I just, you know what beavers do? They cut down, I don't know, trees <laughs> with their teeth. And you're putting your finger in a hole. I'm still to this day, give me a pole, uh, give, me a, give me a bobber, give me a worm, give me a hook. I'll take my chances. Not, nope, nope, nope. Not going to put my hand <laughs> blindly in a hole. So we're talking and heaven, I mean, I was incredulous. I was literally incredulous listening to these stories as they're going under. And, uh, and so then they, after we you know, talked for several minutes, maybe half an hour, they went back to noodling and never, I never saw them catch anything, but they, they've said they caught, you know, 50 pound catfish pulling them out of these caves, these caverns, these holes in the bank. I said, well, God bless. Good luck, guys. <laughs> not for me. Not for me. But before they left, one of them, the older one, um, one was probably maybe, maybe in his early 20s. The other was maybe, maybe late 30s, early 40s, maybe. And that gentleman said this, and I still remember to this day, and it, it just struck me. He said, you know, you never know what's going to happen when you go under the water. But you better be prepared for it when you come out of the water. I'm going to say that again. You never know what's going to happen when you go under the water. But you better be prepared for it when you come out of the water. Wow. What a statement about water baptism. Wow. Water baptism. You better, you don't know what's going to happen when you go under the water, but you better know, and you better be prepared for what happens when you come out of the water. 
We'll dive in here in just a second to Romans 6. Um, I have shared with my churches before and anyone who would listen, if I were ever imprisoned for my faith, if I were ever um, isolated or uh, sent out and exiled to an island, maybe called Patmos, <laughs> if, if I was ever found without a Bible in my possession, the two or three pages of the Bible that I would want someone to sneak into me, that I would want to try to somehow hide on my person to try to make sure I had it, the, 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 the two pages maybe of scripture, of the Bible, of the entire Bible that I would want to have in my possession if I did not have the ability to have the entire Bible. And you know, that is the reality for many, in fact, probably the majority of people in the world today. We as uh, westernized Christians in America, we are blessed to have three, four, five Bibles, many of which collect dust, many of which we don't utilize nearly as much as we should and should and could. I still remember a video I watched Bibles arriving, I think it was in China, and the joy, I mean the inexpressible joy. Some of you who might be a part of Firmer Chapel listening to this might remember that video probably three, four years ago, and they just wept. Remember, they they just, they opened this this box and they got a Bible of their own and they fell on their, they fell on their faces on the floor. They, they went to their knees. They wept because they got a Bible. Oh, that we would revere and take such joy in having the, the word of God in our possession. So if I were ever in a position where I could only have two to three pages of the whole Bible, I have said to this church before, I've said to anyone who would listen, Give me Romans 6, Romans 7, and Romans 8. I believe in those three powerhouse chapters, those spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-anointed chapters, Paul lays out not just to the Romans, not just to the church there, not just to the church now, but to all believers of all time. An incredible treatise of, of sin, of life of sin, life of after sin, what happens before and after baptism, the spirit of God, the nature of sin, the nature of a spirit-filled life, incredible, incredible stuff that I think could and should compel us to study those three chapters, maybe for the rest of our lives. I know for me, those are three chapters that define a lot of my theology and a lot of my understanding of sin and of spirit. In fact, over the next several weeks and months, I've, I think I've invited you to pray for me about this. And if not, then consider this your invitation to pray for me as I am trying to write a book by the same name of this podcast, The Person and the Power. And we're going to look at the intimacy and the activity of the Holy Spirit. And, and specifically, how do you encounter, how do you experience the intimacy which is the personhood of the Holy Spirit. And how do you experience the activity, which is the power of the Holy Spirit? How do you experience both? How do you experience both regularly on a daily basis? So as I'm praying about that book, it will likely be anchored in Romans 6, 7, and 8. So back to baptism. Again, this first part of Romans 6 is just an incredible just these four verses just really kind of lay out uh, this understanding of baptism. Now, I, I wish I could say that 
there's been no argument and no debate about baptisms for all of history and all of time. (laughs) And we all know that is oh so wrong. And I want to make sure I go back to my original statement. I love water baptisms. Probably blessed with more than a thousand sitting right now by this creek just a a couple of months before Pentecost when this church is going to celebrate again uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to change a life. And we're going to do it right here in this creek. We're going to be offering water baptisms right here in this creek, looking right here at the spot where people go in to die and people come out to live. I don't know Uh, We don't know what there is waiting for us under the water, but we sure better be prepared for when we come out of the water. As I quote that 40-some-year-old noodler 25 years ago, I think he had this concept of baptism pretty, pretty well, even if we still disagree. And there's a lot of disagreement. I'm not here today to share uh, the disagreements. I I do find it um, disheartening that we still want to argue about the amount of water. There are whole movements, whole denominations that basically say you must be baptized in water or you are not saved. And I'll just say this, and I could be wrong. I don't think I am. And we'll talk more about this in the, in the future podcast. But when I look at Luke 3 and Matthew 3 specifically, and I look at Ephesians 2, and I I look at a whole bunch of the context of Scripture as a whole, salvation comes only because of God's grace in our lives. We must choose to have faith in that. But salvation is God's work alone. There is nothing we have to do to earn that, to seal that, to do anything except receive it. We receive the salvation that God so graciously, lovingly lavished upon us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and by the blood that washes us. That resurrection life three days later, right? That one-two punch of that crucifixion resurrection makes for us the way of salvation through one man, one man alone, the God-man Jesus Christ. So there is nothing else we can add to salvation, including water baptism. I go back to my original statement. Say it with me. I love water baptisms. However, when we focus on water baptisms above and beyond a spiritual baptism, I do get somewhat concerned. I I get concerned that we have missed the mark and our priorities have been, are slightly askew from what maybe scripture may teach us. So let's jump into Romans 6, 1 through 4. And we'll kind of walk through, maybe for the next few weeks, we may walk through these three chapters that I would want to be my companion if I were ever in exile or ever in jail or ever find myself in a place where I could not have access to the whole word of God. These three chapters would be my preference, would be my first, second, and probably third choice of keeping with me. Um, I believe as I've read through and studied them, I, I have a lot of the passages memorized, but oh, to read these words and to let these words drip back into my spirit over and over and over. So here they are, Romans 6, 1 through 4. As Paul tells the church, and again, there's a real important phrase at the very beginning that connects 
chapter 5 with chapter 6. We know that this is a letter. These were not broken down in verses and, and chapters. This was a letter to the church, to the people of Rome and to the church of Rome. So he says this, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Heavens no, one translation would say. Since we have died to sin, big key phrase there, how can we continue to live in it? Verse three, or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Woo, good stuff, good stuff. So this obviously ties in with chapter five, that talking about uh, the law and talking about God's grace and talking about how his grace is greater than the law. And so this is why Paul writes in the beginning of chapter six, verse one, so we can keep sinning, right? Because his grace is greater than the law. And of course not. That's just doesn't even make sense for a Christian who is born again, who knows that sin is not to be a part of our lives. And God has done all he needs to do to eradicate that from our lives. We need to appropriate that in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. As verse four said, the glorious power of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity. So this verse, verse two and verse three, especially verse three, that we've joined Christ in death when we join Christ in baptism. So I, one of my least favorite stories of baptism happened, again, I was in those um, small three churches, wonderful country churches, first three years. So much happened that was formational, foundational. This unfortunately was on the negative side. I will not share names, but and I won't even share the full story. Many of you who have heard me preach and teach, you've heard me share this story before. But again, it was just as beautiful as and innocent as the statement was by that 40-some-year-old noodler who didn't have a clue he was talking about baptism. But wasn't he talking about baptism? You don't know what's going to happen when you go under the water, but you better be prepared for what happens when you come out. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I want you to remember that. Get that tattooed in your heart and your head. So this story is about a man who had no profession of faith in Christ, had no relationship with Jesus, and did not want one. He was at the end of his life. He was only 69, 70 years old. He was dying of cancer. This was, it turned out to be his last day on this earth. But there were friends and family who realized he had never been baptized. Well, there's a reason he had never been baptized, because he did not want a relationship with Jesus Christ. Long story short, it was an ugly scene. I was there witnessing every bit of it. I was not helping put this 69, 79, 69, 70 year old man weighing maybe 110 pounds now because he'd lost 60, 70 pounds due to cancer and radiation and chemo, trying to throw him into a bathtub of water all the while he, he's cussing and screaming because people believe that if he got baptized, he'd be okay with God. He would be made right. If, if, if they just put him in a bunch of water, he'd be okay. Now, I know that's an extreme, but I also believe it's an important principle. Understanding that water 
is not the saving grace of God. Water is a symbol. I love water baptisms. I will keep doing them as long as God gives me the privilege to do so. However, there is something greater than water baptism. And as my noodler theologian would say, you don't know what's going to happen when you go into the water, but you better be ready for when you come out of the water. And this is that picture of Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, especially now verse 4. For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. Just as Christ was raised, somebody say raised, from the dead, right? By the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. The understood, and he goes on to say this later on in the chapter, we've been raised to new life. So you go into the water understanding that you have made that profession of faith. You have already been saved by the blood of Jesus washing you, by your confession and your belief, your faith has unlocked his grace, right? His grace is the only thing that saves you. His work on the cross and through a tomb is the only thing that can save us. But our faith is the key that unlocks it, right? And by that public symbol, that public expression, that public display of water baptism, we symbolize going into a watery grave dying to an old way of life, and we come out to live a new way of life. I don't know what you're going to experience when you go in the water, but we better be prepared and ready as we come out of the water. And I think that's the heart of Christian baptism, water bat. I think that's the heart of what Paul is saying here in Romans 6, because you pair this up with Romans 7 and Romans 8, especially, we'll get there eventually. You pair this up with Luke 3 and Matthew 3. You pair this up with Ephesians. You pair this up with so many other passages of scripture. We have to know that water baptism does not save, but water baptism can be a very important act of obedience, of identification with Christ. I'll end with this short story from seminary. I still remember uh, early, early church days, apparently. This is back in the uh, first few centuries of the early church. Uh, for baptisms, they would dress people with, uh, who, had, who are coming to be baptized in a black robe. And as you walked into the water, you would be facing west. Well, black robe, of course, the blackness of sin, the blackness of death. You would face west. What happens in the west? The sun sets. What happens after the sun sets? It gets dark. So you would be baptized as you were facing west, but in the water, they would turn you. And as you come out of the water, you would be facing, guess which direction? East. What happens in the east? The sun rises, light and bright and new, a new beginning, right? New mercies every morning. And then immediately following that, you would be robe, the black robe would come off of you and you would be adorned with a white robe, light, purity, holiness. Great picture of the life of Christ. Again, baptism does not save. We'll talk more, much more about baptism. I love water baptism. I'm a fan of spiritual baptism all the more. And it's a beautiful thing when the two 
come together. I don't know what you're going to experience when you go under the water. I do know this. You better be prepared and ready for when you come out of the water. Wow. Be blessed as we continue to know the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. Love you guys. Pastor Tim is the co-founder and teaching director of the Joshua Center, a leadership training ministry which provides deep biblical roots to great movements of God. He's also the senior pastor of Firmers Chapel, a country church by a creek, reaching 13 countries on four different continents for Jesus and his kingdom. Join us next time as we grow deeper in the person and the power.